Jesus Smart, the podcast, has been such an encouragement to me on my commutes to and from work. The way that Brian Del Turco prays on these episodes has taught me how to change my prayer life. Uh, it's been a big encouragement to me. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the podcast today. Brian Del Turco here. Thanks for connecting with me, Jesus Smart, the podcast, episode 167. I don't want to make you mad. Hope this makes you glad. This is a primer at best. You can catch the show notes page for this episode at JesusSmart.com. Real future. Everybody wants to live in a great society. We're wired for it. I want to say it's an eternal coding that's placed within the human heart to live in an ideal society. And Jesus is all about society. Oh, yes, he is. He said to his followers, the ecclesia, the church, that you are a city on a hill. We'll get to that. That is a society. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. We know that the scriptures show us that the city of God is coming to this earth in the future. That is an ideal society. How do we get there, though? That's the question. And I'm saying that progressivism is a demonic counterfeit to the real future. I don't know that there's any value higher than truth, more important. But truth is upstream from freedom. Freedom is another wonderful value that we all want. The human being is created to be free. Here's what Jesus said in John 8. He said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Amplified has it as continually obeying my teachings and living in accordance with them, then you are free. Then in verse 36, Jesus says, so if the son, referring to himself, sets you free, you really will be free. He said in John 14, verse 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. You see, ultimately, according to the Jesus worldview, the Christian worldview, ultimately truth is a person. So if you can go upstream and say that there is no ultimate truth, you see what I mean? If you can say that there are many truths, then downstream from that, you can affect human freedom. This is a core question. Jesus, when he was before Pilate, at his trial, just overnight before his crucifixion, at that critical moment when the Son of God was being offered as a sacrifice, Pilate asks this question, what is truth? And that question just echoes throughout human history, throughout world history. Well, the other evening, here I am, I'm sitting on the couch, and what am I doing? I'm not looking at digital, I'm doing old school newspaper reading. (laughs) You know, the kind of exercise that makes your fingers kind of gray from the ink. I have to wash my hands after doing a uh, copious amount of newspaper reading. I haven't read newspapers in a long time, but recently I, I have subscribed to the Epic Times. I mean, all I need sitting on that couch is a pipe and a fireplace and a dog sleeping. I mean, I was just kind of leaning in that direction. So I'm reading this article, looking through an adversary's eyes, a KGB agent's prophecy. And I read this quote, 
in this article that rocked me. Now, sometimes I have trouble pronouncing English, and so I'm I'm going to take a run at this French name. Jules Antoine Castagny. Okay. I know that's not right. Forgive me. A French liberal politician who lived 1830 to 1888. He was a journalist, a progressive, very influential. And the reason they were using this quote in this article was they were trying to show what they say is the arrogance of intellectuals who are fooled by radical ideologies. Okay, the hubris of intellectuals fooled and mistaken and taken by radical ideologies. And this is actually a phenomenon that is now being, uh, it's, uh, it's garnered the attention of some scholarship. Why are intellectuals taken by these radical ideologies? Well, here's his quote, again, from the 19th century. Are you ready for this? Here it is, quote, Beside the divine garden from which I have been expelled, I will erect a new Eden. At its entrance, I will set up progress, the personification of progress. And I will give a flaming sword into his hand, and he will say to God, Thou shalt not enter here. Can you imagine that? The human quest to set up a counterfeit or alternative Eden, and instead of being removed from God's Eden, because we were trying to say what is right and wrong, God is removed now from our Eden, and the guardian is not an angel of God. It's this personification of progress, i.e. progressivism. Now, progressivism, and this is a primer, and I'm learning, okay? I am on a continuum. This global issue, national, global, and in the church, there is something now called Christian progressivism. This issue of progressivism is being highlighted, and I encourage everyone to get on this continuum and learn something about it. The more understanding you and I can have about this, the better. This is a primer, though, and we need to talk more about this. We need to have more of this conversation on this podcast. It's rooted in the European Enlightenment, and it certainly has a European expression, progressivism. In America, it's been at least a 100-year quest, really a struggle, between progressivism and traditionalism. In the United States, progressivism began as as an intellectual rebellion against the founding political philosophy of America, constitutionalism, which came from John Locke, the British philosopher and the founders of the American Republic. This is not about America. I'm just using the American context to uh, illustrate and try to define what progressivism is from a political context, okay? The founders of the American Republic saw the authority of the government depending on observing limitations on its powers, but that's not what progressivism does. Here's the myth of progressivism. Here's the vision. It's a linear path in history toward a state of absolute equality, a utopia, if you will, and social justice as equality of outcomes is what it's all about in everything. Does that sound familiar to you? 
And progressives want to liberate individuals from history. They want to release them from religion. They want to destroy gender and marriage as being defined as one woman and one man. They want to destroy the family. Progressivism believes that social conditions can change human nature. Now, if there's anything in you um, of the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, that will run against that grain in your own understanding. You understand that human nature cannot be changed only by social conditions. It's it's something more deep-seated that requires, we believe, a spiritual regeneration and a development as a Christ follower. But in progressivism, what starts out as a soft totalitarianism will eventually evolve into total totalitarianism, sort of a double thing there, because totalitarianism is a form of government that tries to assert total control. That's, that's why the word total is in that word. Total control over the lives of its citizens. It's characterized by strong government, strong central rule, attempts to control and direct all aspects of individual life by coercion, by suppression, by repression. It does not permit individual freedom. It's seen as a continuum. You can start out with a soft totalitarianism and it can evolve and grow until it's too late and you're now in a, a total totalitarianism. It's, I know it's an overused metaphor, an overused uh, illustration, but the boiling frog put him in the uh, lukewarm water ever so slowly gaslight that frog and slowly increase the temperature of the water until the frog becomes immobilized. It's too late. It can't get out now and it boils to death. Progressivism is not just political though. There is the dynamic of progressivism that's leaching into part of today's modern church. This is the contrast of progressive Christianity versus historic Christianity. You know, Jude 3 says to contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, right? Progressive Christianity affects Bible, Bible interpretation, theology, how we do theology. It affects Christian teaching, and it certainly affects then practical living, how we express what we feel is Christianity. That is, and much more can be said about that. I'm grateful that there are emerging voices, emerging uh, young apologists. One of those is Alicia Childers. I'm going to drop a link on the show notes page, jesusmart.com slash real future episode 167. I'm going to drop a link to a video where she's interviewing Rod Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R. Again, my pronunciation, right? who wrote a book called Live Not by Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents. He's an Eastern Orthodox Christian. Highly recommend that interview. Recently solid. And I think that that interview is really much of the impetus for this particular episode, this primer on progressivism. While progressivism, my friend, is a distortion of Christian ideals, I believe that's how we can see it. The ideal society will not be realized this side of the new heavens and new earth from a biblical point of view. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, Peter writes, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Now, Jesus spoke of the ecclesia. He said, I will build my ecclesia. We know it as the word church, but I'm just using the Greek word a lot these days because I think the word church has become misconstrued. There's so many ways of conceiving what that word means. A lot of people have become burnt by that word and hung up on it. I don't know what to do about that. Call it the way, <laughs> like the early Christians did in the book of Acts. But in terms of gatherings of believers, I'm referring to it as ecclesia. Dallas Willard calls the church or the ecclesia the society of Jesus. And the society of Jesus is set within the society at large. See, Jesus again said, You are a city on a hill. What is a hill? Well, it's elevated topography. Everybody can see what's on top of the hill. And Jesus means for his society to be a model, an example of what it means to follow Jesus, what his kingdom looks like. And I'm saying it's meant to be a precursor. Hear me now. If we can ever get our spirits, our minds, our understanding around this framework of understanding, I believe it will revolutionize our experience together as Christ followers and even our individual expression as a Christ follower. The city on a hill is meant to be a precursor to the city of God coming to the earth in the future and the new heavens and the new earth. It's meant to be a sampling, albeit partial, and yet the dynamic of the city of God is in such contrast to the city of man, to use Augustine's uh, contrast. The city of God is meant to be a precursor, an illustrative precursor to the city of God coming to the earth in the future and the new heavens and the new earth. Can you begin to see how immediately this now is contrasting with the vision of progressivism? How we would say from a biblical worldview, from a theological framework, sound theology, sound biblical interpretation, I'm, maybe I should qualify. Progressivism is a demonic counterfeit to the real future. You see, following the new birth, how should we be developing and living now in this age in light of the age to come? Well, that is our experience in the society of Jesus, and we get on that continuum of developing as a Christ apprentice, as an apprentice of his kingdom. We begin to live now in the light of the age which is to come. We in and of ourselves become a, a, a something of a sign, something of a wonder, a precursor to the future, the real future. God is restoring the Edenic dynamic so beware of a demonic counterfeit. Here's his quote again. Beside the divine garden from which I have been expelled, I will erect a new Eden. At its entrance, I will set up progress, the personification of progress. Notice this is not the one true God. This is a false God, I might add, which ultimately finds its expression in the state as God. And his quote continues, I will give a flaming sword into his hand and he will say to God, thou shalt not enter here. We're saying that's a demonic counterfeit counterprogramming to the true kingdom of God, which God began to speak of right at the outset at the fall of man in Genesis chapter three, that the Messiah would come and he would crush 
the head of the serpent, the Proto-Evangelium. It's known as the first mention of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of the kingdom. It's not the good news of religion or churchianity or even the good news of going to heaven someday. It's the good news of the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven and that we have a new king. This is a mind bender, this sense in which the overlapping of heaven and earth. Let me explain what I mean. Here's the prayer priority that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. He gave us this prayer architecture, which we can really build out and use it as a template, a prayer architecture. Hallowed be your name, it begins. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it's about things coming here. It's not about us going up there. Those who have gone on before us in the Lord, yes, they're, quote, up there, and yet they're coming back here. Everything's coming back here. The city's coming here. There will be a renewed heavens and a renewed earth. But hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as in heaven. The will of the Father, the kingdom of God, will be completely realized at the coming of Jesus Christ. But it's already here now. It's already penetrating and expanding like leaven. Matthew 13. Jesus said the kingdom of God develops from a tiny seed into a tree of refuge for many, also in Matthew 13. You see, in the New Testament, the scriptures speak of this age and the age to come, and it seems that the scriptures are showing us that the age to come has already, in a real sense, overlapped into this age. The future is here. Here's a quote by William Gibson. He coined the term cyberspace in 1984. He wasn't talking about the kingdom of God in this quote, but I think it perfectly, perfectly uh, depicts what I'm saying here. He said the future is here. It's just not widely distributed yet. And I want to say that the real future is here right now. It's just not widely known and widely distributed yet. Hebrews 6, 4 and 5 says that we can taste that heavenly gift now. We can partake, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the phrases from Hebrews 6, 4 and 5, partake of the Holy Spirit, taste the, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, few believers may experience this, but let me say this, my friend. There's a difference between normal Christ following and average Christ following. This is available to us. It's meant to be what's normative, not average. Please, please don't take your reference point off of the average mean of Christian life that you see around you. Let your reference point be the Word of God. Let it be the Holy Spirit. Let it be your vital connection with the ascended head, Jesus Christ. And let it be, my friend, your connection with other believers who want to run with the normal Christian life as Jesus spoke of. This is a part of the abundant life which Jesus promised in John 10.10. I have come to give life and life more abundantly. We need to read outside of our time. 
We need to read sermons and read books from 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, and not be stuck in our popular culture, our popular churchianity, popular thinking. This is what I mean about not succumbing to the average mean, but elevating yourself, pressing towards the goal, the mark, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, which from Jesus' point of view is meant to be normative. All right, well, listen, we need to have an ongoing conversation about these themes from time to time on this podcast. I'm uh, thinking, I'm, I talk with other podcasters, and there's a lot of talk about actually doing some things in series, creating content in series, and maybe that's what we need to do with this topic of progressive Christianity versus historic Christianity, and then even how that plays out in terms of the body politic, in terms of society at large what it means to live together well, what it means to live together well from our perspective as salt and light and kingdom leaven in the society at large, how we can influence it for good, how we can show forth a new model, again, the precursor of the city of God, the precursor of the new heavens and new earth to come. I tell you, if we really study this and really pray into it and really talk with others about it who are on these frequencies I think that it will excite our inner man. It will animate and refresh our Christian walk with the Lord and probably bring into view new horizons for us, new seasons and new horizons and new things to work on and new ways to express our identity in Christ. I I get pretty amped up about it when I start elevating my frequencies, if you know what I mean. It's not just the world, okay? It's not just New Age that talks about elevated frequencies. There are authentic elevated frequencies in the mind of Christ Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. Hey, would you share this with one or two of your friends? This is the best way. Would you just share this with them if you think they would resonate with this topic today? I really appreciate it. Wherever you're listening on your favorite listening option, if you would consider rating this podcast, five stars only, please. (laughs) And... If you would consider rating a review, a stellar review, please. If you can't write a stellar review, it's a free country. You can write, you can do what you want, but I uh, exhort you not to. I just, I'm just kidding. We've been getting good reviews. The reviews we have are are all good, and I think we have five stars on Apple's right now. Which Apple right now? That's all just designed to help others find the podcast and to think that it's a credible source when they happen upon it and. Um, hey, you know, inviting them to check it out. And then if they like what they hear, if, if they resonate, they can, um, they can continue to listen more. That's the whole idea. In the creation of content, we're just not looking at audience building. We're looking for outcomes. We're looking for changes from content. We're looking for uh, things to move and happen. And we're trusting God that he would work on those edges. Again, jesusmart.com slash Real Future, show notes page. Jesus is infinitely brilliant as we walk with him and develop with him. We are going to catch and reflect his brilliance in a unique way. He knows how life works best. He also knows how society works best. And I'm telling you, the future is his It's his, it's his, and it's coming. We'll talk soon.